Okay, so. Good work. Apocalypto. All right. Are you done? You got out of your system? <laughs> You're giving me this look. I don't know how to take it. We're back, guys, on the wages of cinema. And unfortunately, though, we have to uh, change uh, tone here from uh, being kind of joking and funny to something a little more serious. Uh, we lost two giants in the past week. Two great just personalities, I think. Yeah, two people pop culture icons you could say aside from things that they did they i i think we can maybe say that one of them was slightly more significant than the other but not by that much no and also strangely both british both 69 years old and both died of cancer and of course we're talking about david bowie and alan rickman i think the how they both they both shocked me so much hearing about their deaths i mean i don't it was kind of a weird thing because I was uh, when I heard when I heard about David Bowie, I was just about to go to bed, and I was on my Facebook, and I see the official David Bowie account say, "We are very saddened to say that David Bowie has died, and we'd like for you to give us some pieces of time." And I was like, "No, no, no, that's not true. It's, it's that's impossible. not yeah, no." But I I literally had the thought in my head, "No, no, no. Somebody must have hacked their account." Let me see if this is a hoax. And I, then, and, and nowadays, that's more common than not. How many times? Morgan Freeman's been declared dead like ten times. And, and but when Morgan Freeman does finally die, we're all gonna feel the same way. Yeah, but it's it's the kind of thing where a person you just wouldn't think about dying dies that it really hits you. And then it, Duncan Jones confirmed that he's his son. Yeah. And, and, and that's the weird thing. It's like you don't expect. It's always you don't. Ex- you don't expect people to die, and then <laughs> first, and then it just happens, and you're just like, "Whoa!" Yeah, no, and it, it's for me in my life. I've found a lot of people who I've looked up to in entertainment and like influences have died around the same age. It's like Kubrick died when he was seventy in '99. George Carlin died when he was seventy-one. Lawrence Thompson died when he was sixty-seven. Well, he. Uh, well, yeah, he killed himself, but that's still. That's, I, that's I still. I still remember my reaction to that, where I had two. I, I saw he was dead, and I went, oh! And I saw he killed himself, and I was like, oh! oh! I had two O's back to back, and Bowie was just so sad. Mm. It was just like, I. Like, I, I could have gone to bed right then, but I was just. I had to put on Aladdin Sane. Yeah. Listen to that, which is you know it's one of the best albums of all time. So at least for me. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about though with David Bowie. Um, I mean Alan Rickman we'll get to in a moment because his career is a little bit more easier to peg. But with David Bowie, his influence with cinema is often not recognized as much. Overlooked. You Over say. yeah, overlooked when he yeah his career wasn't focused on movies, but when he came to work he worked. Oh yeah. And. Uh, I'm sure, and the one I know that you thought about probably, and we talked about on the show, was him as Pontius Pilate. Yeah, in The Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah. I mean, he was only on there for like less than a minute, but still. A couple minutes. He had a good full scene with Defoe. Yeah. But it, and it was a great scene, though. You, you fully understand watching Bowie in that performance, 
who this Pontius Pilate is. He's not, and he makes him not somebody who's necessarily some evil man out to get Jesus. No. He's more like, who are you? I don't know if I believe you. Yeah. Are you just some like other Jewish charlatan or you're some magician? And Jesus is mostly silent in the scene. Right. Like Pontius Pilate's the one who's talking and he's trying to do detective work. Right. He's taking the lead. Yeah. And he's subtle. Right. He could play subtle really well. I mean, David Bowie, you don't exactly think of him as subtle. No. Well, well, of course, when you see him in Labyrinth, there's nothing left to the imagination there. But then there's uh, the other role I could think of him in, in The Prestige. Yes, as now, Nikola Tesla. Right. Now, whether or not you like that movie is up to you. Most people seem to generally like it. But I was watching his clips from La- from uh, from the prestige and he was again quite subtle he's not going for a go- he's not going for a goofy accent and he's not just foregoing or he's not foregoing the accent altogether he is and it could have been so easy for them to do that for him to have done that because when he first appears in the movie he's surrounded by electricity bolts yes he he appears out of like this whole cloud of electricity that's happening. I forget. Like, I guess it's with his Tesla coil that he's yeah. created. Um, but he, but when he's talking to Hugh Jackman, Hugh Jackman's character, he's saying, I, I, uh, "He's saying I will I will make this device for you, but I'm going to ask you not to ma- ask me to make this device for you." And huh. <laughs> and he's actually he's he's much more significant in that he's. He's like the wizard. That's that's, yes. that's what they talk. That's what how they refer to him as in the movie. Because, yeah. You know, there's this giant cult around Tesla and his accomplishments or his imagined accomplishments, and yeah. and he has this status nowadays as an iconoclast and this person who was ahead sure. of his time. And they don't go for a goofy Tesla. Yeah. They portray him as somebody who clearly knows he pushes the boundaries and knows that what he does can really mess you up. Exactly. And all that gets conveyed in Bowie's performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all there. And he doesn't have to do too much. He, uh, yeah, as you say, he doesn't put on a big accent. He's just there to do what Christopher Nolan's asking him to do. Right. Um, a couple interesting... Do you want to talk about <laughs> Labyrinth? I, I, it's like, I almost... I feel the song building up in my head, but I'm not going to do it. Jump. Magic. Jump. <laughs> You're saying it like it's like a incantation or something. <laughs> yeah, no, he's just it, it's amazing to think that he that that movie is actually really critical in his career hmm. because he you could say that he kind of re he he got introduced to a whole generation by that movie. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you, on the one hand you had yeah, the like the baby boomers who were listening to Bowie in the 70s, but then you had their kids who you know are big Jim Henson fans, and suddenly this movie Labyrinth comes out, all these crazy Muppets, and here's David Bowie with a gigantic Tina Turner wig. Yeah, and, like, like Thunderdome. And no imagination left in the crotch area. And it, <laughs> if you watch that ma- Jump Magic Jump sequence, uh, try to avert your eyes, and I'll guarantee you it's a challenge. There's an important thing about Bowie in Labyrinth, though, that his character Jareth, on one on on face value, Labyrinth is a uh, is sort of a magical fantasy adventure. Yeah, you know about this girl who who's kind of a brat, but and she has to overcome you know her you know 
aversions to family and everything. And, you know, she has to take some responsibility for her brother. And it works on, on the level of a of just a fantasy. Jareth is a character who, you, you know, he, he is fantastical, he's flamboyant, but, you know, not... Uh, but you know, is a threat somewhat. Yeah. Not like a scary threat, but still no, he he's a good nemesis. Yeah. But on the other hand, Labyrinth is also about that main character and it works on a kind of a sexual level as well. <laughs> Maybe they're like it, she's she's not she's at that age, you have to remember, where she she's coming into her own sexually in a sense. Like she's not like too young a kid. She's not quite an adult either no she she is uh she's working her way into adulthood both emotionally and physically and jareth works in that way too because yeah he's also he, he also has that little this appeal that that sexual edge to him yeah well they're just the package mind you there's this I, I had almost forgotten about this i hadn't forgotten the scene but i watched i didn't want I watched the making of Labyrinth on YouTube after in the past week uh, after I heard Bowie died, and Jim Henson talks about this whole sequence in the movie where there's this dance where she's she's I, I guess she's sort of poisoned, but she's given like this she's apple. In, she's or, in this sort of dream world. Yeah, she's in this dream world, and there's this dance going on with all these people in dress and with masks on and she's in a dress and bowie appears to bowie, her as jareth appears to her and, and they, they dance they have this dance yeah together. and jim henson talked about how so she comes in this environment and it's it's for adults it's not really for kids but she is there yeah and it's beyond her it, she's she can't fully recognize why she's there but she is and i think that's sort of what you're talking about with that sexual edge yeah and and Bowie works so well. Oh man, he because does. Because David Bowie is hot. He you was know. one of those people who, like, he just. I mean, he he. I think early on in his career, he said he was gay, but then he later said he was bisexual. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's just you know, as a heterosexual guy, I can say he was an attractive man. Yeah. And it was just. And you can't help hot. but imagine a few pubescent girls seeing Labyrinth and thinking. Perhaps subconsciously. Oh no, no, sure. It's like that. It's like that thing where, like, uh, my wife told me once when she watched uh, The Fly for the first time. Of all things, she was like, "Huh, Jeff Goldblum." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting movie to show, like, you know, because it is ultimately, I guess, little kids can watch it, but it's also, if it came out today, it would be like a YA movie with like CGI characters and crap like that. CGI package. Oh man! Well, they probably do some softening in that area, so to speak. <laughs> All right, actually, let's get on with that. Um, but Bowie had a pretty—he he did a lot of movies. One of the things I I saw in the past week, which I didn't talk about earlier, I watched a movie that he made in the '80s called "Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence." I'm not sure if this is familiar at all. It's a World War II POW movie. Um, where uh, he's one of uh, a, a group of British soldiers being held by Japanese people. And a lot of the movie hinges on, not so much Bowie, like he's actually not the Mr. Lawrence of the title, um, but he has this constant streak of being like an anti-authoritarian figure. And it's interesting to see that because, you know, another movie you might think Jack Nicholson for that kind of role or something. Mm -hmm. but he, but he, But he has fun with it. But, you know, kind of deadpan kind of way. Some of that is from the direction. But part of the interesting thing in that movie is the antagonist is the sort of captain of the camp, 
the super uptight Japanese guy who's like, you will do this. I'm doing a bad Japanese voice there. It's this guy was, played by too bad. All right. His name was, and he was played by this actor named, uh, Oh God, let me get this right. It was, his name is, um, Ryuchi Sakamoto. Uh, he also did the music for the movie too. He's like, uh, the funny thing is he was apparently a big rock star in Japan. Huh. So you had David Bowie and this guy as like Fight. a rock star package. And yet, the funny thing is, in the movie, his character is kind of holding back some homosexual tendencies, and he's clearly attracted to David Bowie on first sight, which, can you blame him? Who wouldn't be? But it's like the underlying tension of the movie is, you know, I, I, I have to treat this guy like crap because I can't reveal my true emotions to him, you know, because right. I'm Japanese. So it made for an interesting viewing. It's not a great movie, uh, or at least from from how I watched it, but... Interesting watch. Terrible except Bowie. Yes. Um, he had an int- weird career, like weird career times. I mean, he was in uh, Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me. Huh. Uh, did you ever see that movie? No. It's not that great, but the thing you can say about David Bowie, even when he appeared in movies that weren't very good, he was always solid in them. And right. he has a weird walk-on in that movie. He appears as this agent, uh, Phil Fe- Jeffries. And... Just go to YouTube and type in David Bowie Twin Peaks and you'll see the scene. He has a southern drawl. <laughs> <laughs> and picture that amongst Kyle McLaughlin and uh and David Lynch is also the FBI agent. Right. Who who always talks like this? It's Philip Jeffries. And um Yeah. It, Diane, that... I'm going to be in a scene with David Bowie. <laughs> Make sure to give me crotch block. Um he was also, of course, in uh, the man who wasn't who fell to Earth. Right. Uh, that he, you know, he's an alien named Thomas Jerome Newton, and that's an interesting movie. So he's either an alien or British. Yeah. With a name like or maybe that. the same thing. Um, oh, by the way, he was also in a spaghetti western. Ooh, I've I'm learning all sorts interest. of things about Bowie tonight. Yeah, it's and but the weird thing is, it's a spaghetti western made in the late nineties. It's called uh, Il Mio West in Italian, but in, in American, it's Gunslinger's Revenge. That's a much better title. It's a movie with also Harvey Keitel, and at some point I'll check it out, because David Bowie in a spaghetti western sounds kind of amazing. Right. Even if it's bad, it'll be amazing. I would like to see him play like a Klaus Kinski part in a, in a western. Huh. I... It's weird. I don't well, see I mean, David. Never well, no, no, now, it won't but... happen now. Um, of course, you know he popped up in Zoolander as David Bowie. He right. he just kind of pops up at whim to judge a mo- model competition. He literally pops up on screen. He's like, "Hey!" and he pops up David Bowie title card. Perhaps I may be of some assistance. <laughs> and it's awesome. Oh, and in uh, this movie Basquiat about the artist uh, Jean Michel uh, Basquiat, he played Andy Warhol. Huh. Which is kind of cool to see. If you go on that's YouTube, kind of, yeah, that's, that sounds awesome. That was really cool, like because he does it really well. He apparently was friends with Andy Warhol in real life. Man, you listeners are getting a treasure trove. You know, you can see the entire David Bowie filmography after this um, this episode, something like that. Um, and of course, I talked about The Hunger. Mm-hmm. I think on another yeah. episode. That's another Roll movie which vampires. I yeah, that's another movie, that's another movie I didn't love, but he was interesting in it. Like I, one of my complaints was actually he wasn't in the movie enough. They kind of wrote him off, sort of, to 
but he is interesting because he, if you look at picture, you might think, is that Gary Oldman? Because <laughs> he gets kind of old. Uh, he's a vampire's aging. Right. Um, and that made for an interesting movie. It's like, I, I want to see a movie about that character because he was so good in that role. But the other thing I want to talk about David Bowie was his musical impact in movies. Um, so, Inglorious Bastards. Right. How, would it... Cat People. Cat People made that scene so interesting. Even though it doesn't... You could say it doesn't fit with the period. No. Because, but it's one of those things that Tarantino does. I'm going to put this song in here, even though it was recorded in 1982. Right. Because I'm Tarantino, I'll do what I want. But it tonally it works. It gets you pumped up. It gives you a sense of danger. Um, I think part of it is that Cat People might be my favorite David Bowie song. Hmm. I don't know. It's one of my favorites. It's right. It's a there. pretty good song. Yeah, uh, it's also it's it's from the movie Cat People too. Um, it's called Putting Out the Fire with Gasoline. Is it a remake? Well, we have the original Cat People. It's the same song though. No, but I mean, no, I'm there was a... about the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. well, the remake of oh Kennedy. oh the remake. Yeah, that's with uh, Natasha <laughs> yeah. Kinski. Yes, um, and it comes in the end credits, and it also works there too because the song starts over just an image of a panther, and then the panther growls, and you hear "We've got to That's pretty cool. Um, but he, but when he, filmmakers at times have used his songs really well to make a movie, you know, captivating musically, like. Uh, I mean, Lost Highway. Right. With the, you can't imagine that opening any other way no. without I'm deranged. Uh, gross Point Blank. Right. <laughs> yeah. Queen. Th- that whole scene where he's like looking at the baby and the baby's staring back at him. <laughs> like it... <laughs> when you stare into the baby, the baby. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, good. Um, exactly. Um, there's this movie uh, like, called The Life Aquatic. Yeah. And I don't know if you've, you haven't seen that? No. Okay. Well, in that movie, the interesting thing is the movie is scored most by and large with David Bowie cover songs. It's this one guy playing songs on his little acoustic guitar, and it's wonderful. Like This guy does a really great job of putting together songs like that. Although they do use, in the end credits, they... Wes Anderson does an homage to Buckaroo Banzai and has uh, the David Bowie song Queen Bitch, and it's amazing. If you don't know what that song is, look it up and have fun. Prepare to be amazed. Yeah, exactly. Um, a couple, I just, I, I'm impressed when filmmaking, because he has music that I feel lends itself to cinema. You sometimes hear one of his songs and, you know, you just play a movie maybe in your head. Usually when I'm listening to Under Pressure, I'm usually thinking of, like, this is perfect for a trailer. Well, it's been used in a lot of trailers. I know, a ton of them. And it's like, to me, it seems like the quintessential trailer song. Especially yeah. when it revs up to that finish. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I felt I've wanted to make a movie so I could make a trailer yeah. to Under Pressure. Yeah, exactly. Um, or, uh, like, in The Martian, they use Starman. Oh, yeah. kind of cool. Um, the excuse me, you don't even need to see the full movie, but if you go on YouTube, type in Dogville end credits, and the end credits for the movie Dogville, it doesn't have to do anything with the movie that came before. It's all just a montage of images of poor, like destitute, like or depress depression era Americans, 
and it's put to Young Americans. And it's so good. I, I love that song as well. Yeah, young Americans. He was a young American. Because, like, the great thing with Bowie, though, he he didn't stick to one thing. He was constantly evolving with his right. career. I mean, you listen you to something s- like Space Oddity, and it doesn't sound anything like I'm Deranged. Right. Space but o- it's still Bowie. I mean, Space Odyssey is the o- obvious one. Space Odyssey is just... Oddity. Oddity. Space Oddity. Yeah, it could have been an Odyssey. I'll I'll emphasize my teeth. Sorry. Uh, Space Oddity is like... It's such a neat song. It's a story in itself. and Kind of a sad story, but still... About a lonely guy out in space. Not just about a lonely guy, but a guy who knows that he's not uh, going to be... Probably not going to be coming back. Mm. And, you know, that... And you think, man, that's, that's a lonely way to go, but still... How cool would it be to just finish it up? Finish it up in space. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. David Bowie's this is this is not movie related. It's actually a little bit of video video game trivia. But they were planning okay. on using the song "Space Oddity" for the uh, for the ending credits of the game Metal Gear Solid Three, which was okay. a game that had that dealt with the space race and. Hmm. The idea of really just shooting people out in space and seeing mm. what happens. Yeah, well, they, they, they yeah. ended up not doing it because the mm-hmm. story of the game changed. But yeah. still, it was. Uh, I, I get what you mean. Gr- uh, well, yeah. well, that's like um, not also not quite film related, but in uh, TV, in one of the last episodes of Mad Men, this episode Lost Horizon, the the main character Don Draper decides, all right, I'm done with this ad thing. I'm going off and onto like. To just explore the country or something. Well, yeah. Um, but he gets in his car and is like picking up this hippie hitchhiker, and he's you hear Space Oddy on the radio, and it just it fits it so perfectly. And outside the the car, the camera rises as the car is kind of drifting off into America, and it somehow just works so well. Um, if you ever get to watch that scene, you'll if for Mad Men fans, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, just yeah, a lot of great music over the years. That and again, whether he was acting in a movie or if the director had the right way to use one of his songs, uh, or even in, do you remember the movie Knight's Tale? I remember it. Did you see in it? Principal. No. <laughs> okay. Well, there's this because in that movie they use a lot of. 70s rock songs right. even though it's it was intentionally meant as a contradiction in terms but there's this fun scene where there's this very, one of these you know dancing scenes where you know back in medieval times you'd have a we're going to do this regal court thing where we're going back and forth very slowly touching one other, hands yeah touching our other in, in a court like yeah. a court dance and then very gradually the song starts to hear like wait what is this turning into and all of a sudden golden years pops up <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so good uh and seeing heath ledger i really should see night's tale you at this yeah you you have no excuse not to i think that considering the kinds of movies that it's like if Tar- like if tarantino was on an off day and made uh king arthur and the knights <laughs> of the round table but it's not a bad movie. I'm saying, like, in, I guess as a positive. Right. Um, so, yeah, Bowie. Let's, we... let's finish it off. What's your favorite David Bowie song? Mm. I'll tell you mine. Uh... Mine is Modern Love. Yeah? Yeah. I love that song. I was listening to that, too. It got in my head, and it, it's a catchy song. 
Church on time. Church on time. That was also used in a very well in a movie uh, called Francis Ha. It's like this whole scene where this girl is just running in the streets of New York City. Right. And it's not like she's jogging or anything. She's just running because she's happy. Yeah. And um, that, that makes it so good. Um, I'm going to say that I really love this song called Drive-In Saturday. Mm. It's off of Vlad Insane. It's uh, You'd know if you're... It's, it's a drive-in Saturday. Dun, dun. Uh, that, that might be my favorite. If I had to pick one, which is so hard. And, and by the way, cinema, to, to top it off... Ziggy Stardust. Yeah. That whole album is meant to folk. I don't know if it does, but it's supposed to folk make me make a whole long story. Concept album. Yeah. Because he played guitar, and you know, jamming with, good with Weird and Gilly. And yeah. Spiders from Mars. Yes. Oh, he one played more. It left hand, but he played it too far. Wow. You know those words came pretty well. Came on so loaded, man. Well hung with a snow white tan. Yeah. As just a side so, note. So where were the spiders? All right. That's All right. Stop being William Shatner. Okay. Now we move on to Alan Rickman. Uh, what can you say? The sheriff himself. Did I did I text you about uh, also that the other actor who died, yeah. Brian Bedford, yeah. who was Robin Hood in the Disney Robin Hood, yeah. who died I, the same day? Yeah. Oh, that's such a weird thing. No, no, no weird. Right, no coincidence. Alan but. Rickman, he gets he, he deserves to be remembered as Hans Gruber. One of the best villains well, of all time. Well, people have been saying, well, Gruber and Severus Snape. Right. Uh, but, of course, as Gruber, that was... I I, I was surprised to know this, because I didn't know. Like, I looked him up on IMDb. Die Hard was his first theatrical film. Wow. He had done TV and theater, of course, before that. Like well, his, of course, his first His first appearance on TV was as Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet. Right. But, but in, like, a big film, Die Hard. Yeah. And that's how a lot of people remember him as the villain you love to watch. Yeah, I mean, if Die Hard is one of the greatest action films ever made, mm. then probably Hans Gruber is one of the greatest villains ever made. You I, can't imagine that movie without him. Like, no. yeah, of course Bruce Willis is as John McClane in that movie. It's a lot of fun seeing right. him in that. But, but 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 Alan Rickman makes is kind of like the the calm, collected, calculating center of the movie. Right. And he's written very well. He's not just uh, he's not just a sadist. Like, when hostages talk to him, he's like, all right, I'll bring out a couch. You can go to the bathroom. <laughs> well, no. And, and, he, and, you know, he, he pulls that off really well. He can be threatening when he needs to. But and he's a he, human. Yeah, and, he, and he's a human villain. Yeah. He's somebody who uh, he has a very clear goal in this whole Take, taking over Nakatomi, which right. is we want all of this money. Yeah, and uh, I also love when he's on the phone <laughs> making his demands. He's like, "I want all of these prisoners released." The blah blah blah. Asian Dawn, and and, and, and then like somebody, look, one of his people looks and goes, "What Asian Dawn?" I read it in Time Magazine. <laughs> I can't help but say his voice. I know we said we weren't going to do it, but. <laughs> The, the 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 first movie where I was really impressed by him though I mean I had seen Die Hard and I liked him a lot in that but the movie where he where I was first like oh man Alan Rickman was uh, Dogma and I don't know if you've you've seen that movie but he plays the Metatron the uh, highest choir of angels um, and in that movie it's just uh, it's it, it's it was very smart of Kevin Smith to cast him in that role because he is sort of the one that sets the the hero on uh, her journey. 
Uh, but she, but he has a lot of fun with it. He's completely deadpan. It's like he at first like he appears to her in like a big flame, and she gets him out with a fire extinguisher and he's like, Oh sweet Jesus. Did you have to use the whole can? <laughs> and then she's like, look, look, you can take what you want, but please don't rape me. And he's like, Oh, give it up. I couldn't rape you if I couldn't. Angels are ill-equipped. And he takes down his pants and you see like, no like junk. It's just like, and he says, I was anatomically impaired as a Ken doll. <laughs> and again, it could be no one else but Alan Rickman in that role. He was just, uh, of course, in a Gal- Galaxy Quest. You ever seen oh, that? Oh, I forget. By Grapthar's Hammer. Oh, right. I will avenge you. Oh, man. I, it's been such a long time since I've seen Galaxy Quest, and it's one of those things like, oh, I should see this again. Mm. Because everybody, everybody who has an opinion about Galaxy Quest on the internet says... Yeah. I end up says they end up watching it again. It's kind of like uh, the way I look at Troy. Hmm. They 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 you know people start off with like this low opinion and then it's like oh, it kind of gets better with age. Yeah, but yeah. You know, I, I I like Galaxy Quest. I'm not like oh my god, it's one of the best movies ever no, it's made. Not. <laughs> no, I mean there are some people who try to say that and no, but it's a fun parody of Trekkies and Star Trek. <laughs> You are our last hope. I like that you're talking in this voice. Um, what do you think of him in Robin Hood? Oh, I loved him in Robin Hood. Was I mean, he, if you're talking you... about him in Dogma, where he's completely deadpan, you get to see him in Robin Hood just hamming it up, and he's perfect. Okay. Perfect amount of ham. Yeah. <laughs> just maybe a little too much ham, but oh, really? on the cusp. Do you feel like maybe he was trying to compensate because of how bland Kevin Costner is? I don't know. I <laughs> <laughs> I think that could be a good reason. He's like, does he have a lot of scenes opposite him? Not a lot. No. I the thing it's the, mostly the with it's mostly with Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, right? The parts where he's funniest are when he's kind of scheming behind the scenes mm. when uh, when he's not fighting okay and it's like it's been a while since i've seen that movie and he's talk it's like he's like let me get this straight robin of loxley is the reason i'm treating these people so terribly and they love him for it <laughs> and they're like yeah and it's like fine no more scraps for the lepers and we're canceling christmas <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's just so goofy, but it works because it's just the kind of energy that that film needed. Yeah. Maybe it is because Kevin Costner is so bland. Maybe. But who knows? Because sometimes it happens with actors where they, well, they'll be up against somebody who's giving them nothing, and so they have to ramp up their performance a little bit. But it's it goes back to that idea of you know a hero is only as good as their as the villain is evil. And he must—he's so evil in that movie. Yeah, um, amusingly so, but still, yeah. he's a threat in that mm-hmm. film. And then <laughs> there's so much more that he does in that film. I'm, I'm not going to give the whole thing. Oh, away. sure, sure. Um, one of the sad and things, like, and then like uh, as Kevin Costner's escaping, he's like, "I'll cut your heart out with a spoon." <laughs> wow, I'm just trying to picture that now. <laughs> Ah, that's that's got hurt. But then there are also, and there are a lot of ga- g- great gags around sure. it because like, Costner gives him this this scar, and then later on somebody as a joke has 
painted a scar on a statue of him right where it belongs. And he tries to like rub it off. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. I um. No, it's a. Uh, it's such a big loss because he. He's somebody who, yeah, he was 69 years old, just like David Bowie. But I felt like he could have still had some roles in him. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, who's to say? But, I mean, he one of the sad things, like, when an actor dies and one of their last roles is in something that isn't that great, he the last movie that will come out, new movie that will come out soon with Alan Rickman, is Alice Through the Looking Glass. Mm. Uh, which I don't have high expectations for that. I mean, maybe it'll be better than the first one, but I kind of probably it. not. No, he no. also he also directed a movie um, called A Little Chaos recently, which I I guess kind of came and went from theaters after a week. Um, and in that, he actually plays King Louis the Fourteenth, huh. which is kind of interesting. Oh, that should have been that should have been a great role. Uh, yeah, well, well, I mean, well he direct garden, well right? he directed it too. It's like one the one with like a garden, isn't it? You'd heard about 14. it, hadn't you? I saw a trailer for it it's, somewhere. Well, what yeah, two talented, two talented landscape artists event, become romantically entangled while building a garden in Link Louis XIV's Palace of Versailles. Man, what movie was I going to see? Was it was it Gem? No, that was too. Gem and the Holograms? No, I no, no, no. It was sooner than that. It was. It, it must was have been earlier. with like a real movie because it's like a Kate Winslet costume movie. I'm trying to think back to the theater. Was it Star Trek Into Darkness? I saw that. No, theater. no. Well, let me look at this. I go to the theater so infrequently. This should be easy for me to figure out. Well, the movie came out. When was it? In last year. It had. It didn't real. It got released in like June of. Did, you wouldn't have seen it with the Avengers. No, no, no. no um. Uh, who cares? <laughs> uh, maybe your mind's playing tricks on you. Maybe you saw it like in a banner ad. Your eyes can deceive um, you. Don't trust them. It's uh, another actor who's gone. Um, but uh, also, any word uh, about Severus Snape? He he certainly made I think the Harry Potter movies, even though they're already good, solid movies. He added a certain extra something. I'll take your word for it. Because you have not seen Harry Potter. I've never seen it. Harry now I'm going to throw this bag of rocks I have in my hand at your. No, I'm not. Oh. No. Nah, you know what? No, no, it's fine. I mean. I mean, it's you know I I've I've seen the movies each maybe just once though it's not like I go back You're to them very Harry often. Potter fanatic. You're... No, I've seen I go to I went to see them all, but I did not go out of my way to buy the Harry Potter DVDs or no. read any of the Harry Potter books. Maybe someday I'll read the books, but I only have so much time to watch movies. Um, so yeah, besides Alan Rickman's not in any of those books. Yeah. But, um, oh, also, um, a movie that I really loved him in, uh, Sweeney Todd, where he got to sing and had a really awesome number with Johnny Depp in a song called, uh, Pretty Women. It's this song where, um, he doesn't like, cause you know, in the movie, uh, you know, for the story, you haven't seen it. Alan Rickman, um, you know, kind of does, does something to Sweeney Todd. He comes back uh, years later, opens up his barber shop, and there's this whole first number when they meet each other again. And Sweeney Todd is giving Alan Rickman a shave. And I seem you to think, recall that scene. I, I seem I recall seeing that scene from something. Uh, you know, maybe on YouTube or something. Maybe you saw the song. Maybe we watched it once at my house or something. Perhaps. But uh, but that's a really great. You talk about like a, mo- a movies. 
the interesting thing in that movie is that Sweeney Todd, the character, is kind of the villain of that story. He's the demon barber of Fleet Street. Right. And yet Alan Rickman plays Judge Turpin, who is the one who sets Sweeney Todd on his path of being uh, a vicious killer. Right. So it's like, who's to say if he's the villain in that or he's just another obstacle or who knows what? Well, still, butchering people and turning them into pies. It's not exactly heroic. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> of course, uh, Love Actually is also another thing to cherish Alan Rickman in. He has a lot of great scenes in that. Just, But, you know, it's always... Alan Rickman was one of those people who wasn't a big star. People knew who he was. Right. In, in the UK, I think he was a huge star. Probably. You could say maybe that because, again, he built up his reputation... In theater and in uh, TV, I think maybe in the UK they have a different spectrum. Now, if you're talking about in the world, yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah. Like, cause but, I, but to you or I, like, to, just between the both of us, I, I don't think either of us were crazy about Alan Rickman or or that we he, eagerly anticipated his next film. I didn't. Well, let me put it this he, way: he, I didn't go out of my way to. Like, if he had a starring vehicle in something, and he starred in a couple of his own movies. They were small. I didn't go out of my way to see them. No. If they were maybe on TV, I would maybe check out something. But but it's always yeah. like you have the – when you watch enough movies, you tend to pick out people who you like. For me, it's people like Christopher Lee or Eli Wallach. Okay. People who do these little memorable roles <clears throat> that maybe just connect with you on a personal level. Yeah. And even though Alan Rickman wasn't one of those people for me, he probably was that person for a lot of other people. Oh, oh absolutely. I mean, and, and I appreciate those people because there are so many, you know, Brad Pitts and there are so many uh, George Clooney's throughout cinema history. And, you know, when they're gone, you know, you, you, you kind of you feel the impact. But then there are these smaller, lesser known actors who are still fantastic, though. I well yeah it's it's the kind of thing that you know we had a whole episode about uh, well we had an episode about Christopher Lee of right. course and how much of an impact he made again he wasn't somebody who you know was a star like George Clooney and yet I, in a weird way you could say he had more of an impact than George Clooney never did maybe I not go as far to say that but. But it's but it's never just about like how big of a star a person was or like what what you know sort of Oscar winning performance they did. It's always like some the person who did the performance that meant the, so much to you, not you you as Jack, but I mean it, the the proverb the royal you, <laughs> the, the informal the, third yeah. person you. <laughs> yes, um, I I totally get what you're saying. That's like also when. Uh... Oh God! Who? Well, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, you know, he's somebody who, yeah, he led movies. He was a name. He was an, an Oscar winner. Um, some people went out to specifically see a movie if he was the lead, but often he would be somebody who would be like a bonus. Like he pops up in Mission Impossible Three. Oh, cool! Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it. Or, yeah. or he pops up in uh, The Hunger Games. Oh, he's in it. That's cool. Or even like in Christopher Lee being the voice of the Jabberwock in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Or in that it, it case, at least gave you like a yeah. little nugget that, of uh, to, to, or, to hope for. Or in that case, I mean, Alan Rickman was also the vo he was the voice of the caterpillar in Alice in Wonderland. That oh, yeah, was a yeah, nice yeah, little touch. Right. Yeah. Um, it's funny that he was also the voice of Marvin. 
the uh, the robot in uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide movie, <laughs> which isn't very good, but it's kind of interesting to hear his performance of it. Because mm. when you read the book, it sounds a lot different than his book, performance. Book tr- book performances in your head and movie performance are always tricky. Oh man, it is. You, it's not even fair to compare, even for even for lots of other things. But still, yeah. his performance in that film. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, he he was somebody who had real presence. Actually, and also, one last one to mention, there was this movie that came out a couple of years called uh, The Butler. And, you know, the whole Lee movie... Lee Daniels, The Butler? Lee, I should give the full title, Lee Daniels, The Butler. I don't want to get sued. By Lee Daniels. Yeah. A, a Lee, Lee Daniels, The Butler, a film by Lee Daniels. Or something. A so, Spike Lee joint. <laughs> yeah. And in the movie, of course, The Butler goes through all the history of presidents... Alan Rickman plays Ronald Reagan. Wow. Yeah. That's really surprising. It and it and it's really good. He might be the best president of the bunch. And in that movie, <laughs> you have Robin Williams as Eisenhower. You have um of all people, Liev Schreiber, I think, plays uh uh Kennedy. Johnson. Oh, Lyndon Johnson. No. Uh, James Marston was Kennedy. Oh, okay. Uh oh, Nixon is played by John Cusack. <laughs> 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 Which is kind of awesome. I think they Lee Daniels is like uh, the Forrest Gump, uh, the Forrest Gump, except he doesn't run. It is he kind just of stays it's a little place. bit part. It, the, 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 his his yeah. skill is being stationary, except when people need him to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, you could say the movie kind of slows down or stops in those scenes where the presidents he interacts, the main character of the butler interacts with them. It's kind of like when a new president comes in, you expect people to applaud like a studio. Audience. Yeah. But with Reagan, it's, it's interesting because his whole scenes, it's like Reagan's storyline. The movie is, I'm not going to recognize any, any Africans with AIDS. <laughs> it's what the hell is that supposed to mean? I don't know. Well, it's supposed to be a racial thing, I guess, or because, you know, I, I do not acknowledge that AIDS exists. I don't want to acknowledge it in public. So all these people in Africa who have it, eh, forget it. Screw it. Yeah, sorry, Rick. Yeah, that's how Reagan played. But um, yeah, so things like that, mate. You, know, I would see the Butler and be like, oh, Alan Rickman. Huh. So Alan Rickman was that guy. He made Except our lives it's a little bit better. Much more like, is that Alan Rickman? <laughs> in that case, yes. Other times, it's more like, oh, Alan Rickman. Huh. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so I think Dogma, like I said, was the movie that, without him in that role, he was so well cast in that movie. And when you watch him in that, he's having so much fun, but being so droll. It's like the most drollest, fun type of performance you could see with like... A high uh, droller. A high dr- <laughs> That's a good one. Um, Alright, so yeah, so Alan Rickman, I raise my glass to you. You were one of a kind. Ding. Ding. And if you have any thoughts about favorite Alan Rickman or David Bowie performances, let us know. Wagesofcinema at gmail.com, facebook.com slash wagesofcinema, Twitter at wagesofcinema. Listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and um, and tune in to us every week. We have uh, episodes every other week, and uh, I try to get in new local vocal interviews when I can. Um, expect one of those very soon, hopefully. Um, nice. And, uh, yeah, so when we come back, we hope to talk about more movies. We have more Cinema Immersion Tank. Uh, any final words, Andrew? You look lost for words. Let's leave it at that. I'm yeah. Jack. Well, I'm Andrew. And remember, 
Triple Ages of Cinema is death. And Unfortunately. Yeah, I, I kind of feel bad about uh, saying that this bad. week. Yeah, we should. Uh... <laughs> Let's uh, we should say like the wage of cinema is puppies or something. We should have a new slogan. There's a star man waiting in the sky. He'd he like to come meet us, but he thinks he'll blow our minds. Good night.